Talofalava, and welcome to Pacifica Wire. He needs no introduction. He's one of the most recognised local politicians here in Aotearoa, New Zealand, and here in Auckland. And you'll know the name instantly, Councillor Fa'anana Efeso Collins. As we begin the year and we deal with a global pandemic, it is the local body elections 2022. And Fa'anana has put his hand up to stand for the largest city in Aotearoa, New Zealand, as potentially the first mayor, the first Pasifika mayor. He joins us now. We say a very warm welcome. Talofalavaloa fiona Fa'anana. So great to talk to you today. Mado Sofua Gladys, and thank you so much for having me today. First off, Fa'anana, how are you? How's the family? Yeah, we're doing really good, thanks. It's, uh, I'm in the bedroom, as you can see, and it's nice to, to be home now and then and not have to go into the office too much. And we're getting the balance right as to how many days we're in the office and how many days we're at home. But yeah, we're doing really well, thank you. And it's, it's just so sticky and hot, and I've got my fan on in the background, but I'm still sweating. I'm just hoping you can't tell that I'm dripping with sweat at the moment. <laughs> Not at all. The uh, advancements of technology, they. <laughs> um, Fa'anana, look, you've started this journey, but the, the journey started so long ago. 2013, you were elected to the local body uh, for Otara Papatoitua. You were made the chair. Then in 2016, uh, elected as Auckland City Councillor for the Manukau Ward. What was it that led you to this path in um, local body? You've reminded me of how wonderful a journey it's been from the local board uh, interactions and that election to where we are today. I think there's a number of things that probably culminated in our decision to stand for the Mayor of Auckland role. And we've enjoyed the ability to advocate as strongly as possible. And uh, I've, I'm really honoured with the platform that we've had to, to say things and say things that I think the community really support us in. They're, they're not always the, the things people want to hear, but I think that's what strong advocacy is about. And given the ability to have that strong advocacy, to encourage ourselves to keep going, that's probably what's led us to making the decision to go for the mayoralty role. And I'm really honored. It's a really privileged position to be in, and I count it a real honor. For the people of South Auckland and Manukau who which is where the people are, the constituency that I've served for so many years. So it's been great. It's been great to hear their stories. You talked it in your introduction about the COVID and pandemic, and that's been tough for our community. Uh, all the more reason to have strong advocacy. So I think that's what's got us to this point and probably just the next step in our leadership journey. And we acknowledge there's a big uh, challenge ahead, but we're up for the challenge and we're going to give it everything we've got. Because I think it's important for our families, it's important for our community. With the global pandemic, uh, with the global pandemic, I should say, and the work didn't stop for you. You worked right through, despite the pandemic. Were there some highlights for you that you can take out and think there was light at the end of the tunnel? Yeah, it's the resilience of our community, and I, I was thinking about that question and how challenging it was for many of our families you know the panic buying if you cast our minds back to when that first lockdown was and I, I had this deep almost sense of grief in my heart because 
you know, when we were doing our shopping, we saw people rushing in. We saw faces full of desperation and panic as they were thinking, if everyone's taking the milk powder, what's left for my kids? And it was tough to, to observe. And so we ended up spending a whole lot of time just standing outside the Fresh Choice, which is behind our apartment block, just encouraging people, making sure they knew we were there. There's little things where you can make eye contact with people where they feel a sense of warmth and security, knowing that we were entering into this unknown terrain. I think the positives show that we got through it. We were resilient as a community. We stood up and we requested of the Crown and of uh, different health agencies what we needed in order to get through. And I think that's a real shift in the way in which we interact with organisations and our world. Is that often we just sit back and we hope for the best. I think we're now at a point in our journey here in New Zealand where we can say to the organisations, this is what's going to be best for us. So I've just been so impressed by the levels of resilience, the way in which we stay connected, the way the churches got around people, the social agencies made sure there was food parcels for everybody. I just think it shows just how beautiful a community we are because we were quick to acknowledge the challenges and support one another. And you're right, we really did utilise community spirit, didn't we? We really had to, you know, tap into that. And for you, your constituents, what were they saying to you on the ground? A whole lot of concern and worry and anxiety. I think as people got through those first initial weeks and we started to find a ribbon for our own families, because it'd be very different. All of a sudden, all the kids are at home. Everyone's in these confined spaces, not just at night to sleep in, but the whole day. And mum and dad have to stay home from work and look after everybody. That was a real challenge for our families. And as we went through that, mostly people were texting. Everyone was on Viber or TikTok, depending on what it was. And we were all just staying in touch to reach out, make sure everyone was doing okay. And look, not only do I think we were resilient, I think there was an expression of love that was quite phenomenal for our community. I remember a couple of youth workers turning up outside my house because they knew I, um, everyone knows that I like cheesecake. It's me and my doctor are having this fight over cheesecake because I continue to tell her my cheesecake has no sugar in it. But the boys turned up and, you know, you went, you had to socially distance. And so the boys, who the youth workers turned up, they'd gone out, they'd been in the community giving uh, food parcels and they had baked the cheesecake for us knowing what we had been up to. And they left it at the bottom of the stairs and said, this here's something for your family. And you know, that spoke volumes to my family because we just do what we do because we believe in our people and in what we're doing. And you know, those small acts of the boys in particular, baking a cheesecake meant a whole lot to us. And it was, it was the type of thing that fueled us so that we could keep standing up for our community. So everyone was giving, everyone was beautifully trying to share and yeah it was a struggle but because we had each other we got through it and speaking of having each other your family when you know I must admit when I saw the billboards being shared on Facebook on social media if they saw for mayor 2022 what was that like what was that experience like yeah, a number of words come uh, to mind, Gladys, deeply humbling, deeply emotional for us, and quite empowering. And all of those emotions rushing through. And 
when people took the banner and they shared it on their Facebook page or their Instagram, it was a real step of support and it was an outward type of support. You know, often people who know you and know our number or friends with us on Facebook, they can send us a text and, and you know, we, we appreciate that. But this was something different for us. And my hope and the way I interpreted that is that people saw this step towards taking office of mayor as something that was a part of their story, that it was doing it for their family and their community as well. And I think we've got so much of a narrative and a story that we all share. And my hope is just for this period, people will see that as a bit of a calling rally, as a focal point of our story in Aotearoa. So it was really humbling. And I was really shy. People, people often think, you know, because when you see me, you think he's talking on TV or something or on your podcast all the time. But people don't realize that I'm actually quite shy. And it was so, I found it I was so shy and embarrassed about people putting that up because I thought that's a big step for people because they're kind of making a statement to the world that they're supporting us, that they want to be part of our team and part of this movement. And that's what I mean by it's deeply humbling. We were so honoured by the support we received. And even people who, because of their positions, can't put it up, they were ringing us and saying, you know, ringing fear, my wife, and, and ringing me saying, we support you. If we could, we'd put up the banner. And I just want, I said to them, I just want everyone to be safe. I know that you love us. I know you care about our family. But yeah, it, even now, Gladys, people are putting up the, the little banner. And I, I get so shy because it's almost... You know, it's not our thing. We don't do that kind of thing. And it's just such a beautiful act of support that we've been receiving from people. You're recognised as one of our leaders in the community. What does leadership look like to you? What makes a good leader? I reflect on my dad's style of leadership. And for me, leadership is about service. You know, we've often quoted that Samoan, Alanga Upu Ole Ale Le Ule and the way to chieftainship or to leadership is through service. And I saw my in my dad, I recognized how dad would often push the boundaries a little bit, that he'd try new things, that he was bold and very principled and said what he believed and walked in that belief. And I, I look back now, my father and I had a really had quite a tenuous relationship as I look back on it now and I kind of regret it because I've grown up a bit now and I realize that we were very alike and we used to we used to knock heads all the time but what I saw from him was a man who was prepared to put everything on the line because of what he believed and that for me is what leadership is about it's about a humility and desire to serve others for everyone's benefit that it can't just be my family that reap the rewards of well-paying jobs so that we can afford to get a mortgage for the apartment that we live in today. That should be everybody's story. And it's not in this city. And that's what I think is, is, is leadership, is where we share the benefits, we share everything that we've had. That's how we were raised. We were all raised to share. No one's taking more than somebody else. Yeah, you might cheekily, because my older brothers would always take a bit more ice cream or, you know, or a bit more of the pie that we cut up. But in the end, it was all about sharing, and that's what I want. And I hope that my daughters in particular see that in us, that they see leadership in our home, that their parents are prepared to stand up for them the same way I expect my girls 
to come with me when we're dealing with these big issues because they have to stand up for our community too. They've got to stand up for Auckland. So it's all about our service, about making big sacrifices so that everyone benefits. That's what I think leadership is. Can it be lonely at the top? Yeah, it is quite isolating. We don't talk about it a lot, and I wasn't expecting you to ask, but it, but it is. It's in politics in particular because I think I'm the type of person that speaks to my principles. And I'm not saying other people don't, that's just my style. And that can be quite, for some people, that can be quite uh, dividing in that some people prefer that we take smaller steps to get to something. But I've lived a life where I have seen racism at work. I've seen institutional prejudice at work. Uh, we call a lot of it today unconscious bias. And when you start talking and, and using those terms, there are some people that get really afraid and they turn off. And, and I understand that because I know that those terms aren't palatable for some people. And as a result of that, you do get a feeling of I'm, I'm on my own. And then there are people who, who sometimes think that we look like we've got it together. And so there's no need to stop by and check in. And you know, I've got my beautiful family. My wife is always there for me. But I'm really fortunate in that I have a group of boys who I, I went to university with. And they check in at a very real level. And they're not so much interested in my politics. They're interested in me and the condition of my heart, the state of my mind and my thinking. They ask me, how's your marriage? Are you making sure you're home enough for the girls? And that means a lot to me, but it is lonely. And I think it's important that people understand that, that when you're walking in leadership, that there's going to be times where it's going to feel very alone. But it's important we know that we're people of faith, that I know that God is there for me. And sometimes it's a bit hard because I can't see God. And it's not like God comes and hangs out with me and puts his arm around me. But I know in my heart that what I'm doing makes God smile, makes my family smile. And so it just makes it a little bit easier in those days where it feels extremely lonely to know that we've got people beside us. Whaanana voter turnout. Over the last few elections, we've seen a, a decrease, not only nationally, but in Auckland. How are we going to change that, especially during a pandemic? Yeah, well, that's the, that's the million-dollar question. I, I think what really needs to happen, and in particular with local government elections where we see a real decline in even fewer people voting in local government elections, is people need to feel like they are a part of our society. And I think there's been a whole lot of disconnection. I'd say to you that we were socially distanced long before COVID came. And I think if you look at the way our communities are set up, you have wealthy areas, you have poorer areas, you have areas that have high ethnic uh, populations. That's the social distancing that was going on long before COVID came. And what COVID did was it highlighted that inequity and that social distance. And what we also see in local government elections is that the poorer you are and the less stable your housing is, the less likely you will vote. And the wealthier you are and the more stable your housing, the more likely you will vote. So what that says to us quite clearly is if your home is transient, if you're in an overcrowded house, if you earn low incomes or no incomes, it's less likely you're going to vote. 
And as a result of that, people feel really disengaged and they don't see what the power of their vote is. And I don't blame them because you feel like the society, you're just doing everything you can to get by. So the way in which we reconnect people to the system is the way in which we're going to win votes. And that means we've got to get out there to people, we've got to find where they are because if it's your last address that the ballot paper goes to, it means that your new address is the one where you'll be staying, but you won't get your ballot paper. So we've got to get out there, we've got to make sure that we meet people and door knock and get people registered. And one of the things I've been doing a lot is over the years, I've been talking to a lot of high school students. So when they get to year 12, year 13, the first thing we should be making them do is enroll to vote so that they're ready to go. You don't get to the voting booth and people say, oh, well, we now need your name and address and you know what I mean? It just is too hard. All we want to be able to do is say, my name's FSO, I live at this address, give them a ballot paper and they can vote. But that's going to take us a long time to get there. It's just important that I'm hopeful we create a huge team that just gets out to meet people and says, make sure you enroll to vote. Whatnana, talking about teams, you touched on it, the influencers, the people in your corner. Um, can you talk to us about that? Yeah, I've got people in my own life who, who have high influence and I've had people who have walked with me, there's older people and, and the boys that I referred to earlier. I think it's really important that we have mentors in our life, that there are people who are going to stand with us and I've got local pastors who've done that for me and they're really good because, you know, I, I say a lot of things that gets recorded publicly and I can tell sometimes they're, a bit, they're wondering what on earth is he going on about, but they're the people who are invested in our lives, not because we're in public life, but because they care about us. I think that would be my encouragement to uh, young people in particular, is look out for people who are going to be there for you. And I think it's a mark of leadership, oh, to go back to that question, but who are we mentoring? And if you're a leader and you're not mentoring anyone, then you have a serious flaw in your leadership toolkit because what we should be doing is creating space so that other people come with us. And over the last few years, I've enjoyed mentoring people to come into politics. All my life at university, I ran mentoring programs. And before that, at church, I was the youth leader where we ran mentoring programs. And it's acknowledging that I'm not the ceiling, that people need to be able to see what we're doing and then they can work out ways to do it the same way or even better. And I hope that I'm secure enough to know the next person who comes into my role is going to be better than me, is going to be more articulate, is going to probably be more better looking as well. And that's cool by me because I'm not insecure. You know, my wife, it's too late for her. She's married me and it's all over. She's in it for life. But the next person I've got to support to be better. And that's what leadership looks like. That's what influencing looks like. And the people who mentor me want me to be better. They're not insecure. I'm not after their jobs. I'm just after all of their experience so that that can be coupled with my journey and I can be better. So yeah, I, this is, it's exciting when I think about mentoring because it's such a, a pivotal part of my life. It's carrying the torch, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Finally, Fa'anana, and you've, you've touched on it, but for those who are watching or are listening who are thinking, hmm, a career in politics, mm. local body, on to central, what would you say to them? Oh, go for it. We're made for it. I, I watched my, someone asked me once, where did you learn how to work out politics? I said, I just watched my dad. I think the church, anyone who's involved 
He's an islander and in church, understands politics through and through. You know what I mean? We don't have to, you just see what's going on in church and who wants to lead the choir and whose child should be playing the piano and why my, you know, my uncle should be the youth leader and all of that stuff. We all know that goes on eh? and we can laugh at it because we all know it's the truth. And my dad being a pastor, I saw how politics work. And so I'd encourage people, firstly, we've already got it in our DNA. We know how to work with people. We know how to navigate systems. We're constantly on the edges of systems. Eh? We're in a, for Samoans like me, we've got the Samoan system that we're, we're dealing with. We've got the Balangi system we're dealing with here in New Zealand. We can walk in either system. That means we come with a great uh, way of thinking because we've got multiple ways to attack things. And that means people could do well in politics. And so, look, we're coming up to local government elections. I'd encourage people to think about standing for the local board. Think about challenging the councillor. I'm the councillor in the area, but that doesn't stop people from challenging me because people might say, well, actually, I, could, I think I could do it different and maybe better than in Fessel. So put your name forward and let's go and talk about it. Let's talk about the ideas that we have. And our, our people have lots of ideas. And this is the chance to put yourself forward. And next year is another election. So if you're thinking about going to central government, do it. People in politics, they get pretty good pay as well. And I would encourage people to think, well, you know, I've, I've done my schooling or whatever. I've been working in this area for a long time. I can now take all of that expertise and experiences and share them in a political realm. And keep in, I'm one of those people that won't be in politics forever. I've been in local government now for nine years. It's the longest role I've ever held prior to that. I, the longest job I had was for five years, and that was at the university. So this is a long time in one area, but I won't be doing it forever. And that's because I believe we need to learn to move out of the way. So when you see politicians who've been in the game for 30 or 40 years, I would whisper to them and say, you're a good person, but you've got to make space for others. And that's probably why a lot of people don't want to hang out with me in politics, because they get a bit long in the tooth and they think, oh, this is just going to come and tell us we should look for something else. And let the young people come through. Don't hang around and hold those spaces. Let's share those spaces. Thanks for listening. Visit our website at www.pacificawire.com. We welcome you to like us on Facebook, LinkedIn, follow us on Twitter, and you can subscribe to our YouTube channel. You can listen to the full podcast on Spotify. Fa'afatai, ma'ia manuia.